Thank you, Charlene, for your testimony. Just encouraging us again uh, the power of the gospel. And just thinking again this morning how um, real, real danger for me is to take um, maybe the gospel for granted in my family. I think I just often assume that Lady and Sophia grow up in a Christian home and as we preach the gospel to them and minister to them that she's just kind of a shoe in. And yet, to see again that oh, it's not, that it's only the work of the Spirit. It's the power of God. And uh, so I'm brought to my knees this morning to pray for my own children. And I praise God for, for your salvation. So let's pray this morning. Oh, Father, we praise You for Your mercy and for Your grace. That, Lord, there's none righteous, not even one. And that there's none born a Christian. And that even being born into a Christian family, though it can be a great blessing, does not mean that salvation is imminent. Father, we praise You. I thank You for reminding my own heart this morning of the grave matter and issue with my own family. Lord, we praise You for saving Charlene and for drawing her to Yourself with Your irresistible grace. Lord, what a prideful young woman she was. Lord, how deserving of Your condemnation and Your scorn. Lord, what arrogance and pride flowed from a creature that you made with your own hand for your own glory. What scoffing and mockery ensued from her own heart, even after you had sent your own son to die and hang on the cross. Lord, it's only by your grace that she is believed, and it is only by your grace that any man and woman in this room who has looked to the cross and not cried out in mockery and cursings, but instead cried out for mercy and for belief, Lord, so we are a people purchased for Your glory. And by Your grace this morning, our hearts are filled with gratitude and gladness. Father, I pray for Charlene and pray that You would continue to grow her and that she would stand firm in her salvation, rooted and grounded in Christ, in no way deceived or in no way led astray. Pray especially for her upcoming marriage to Scott, that, oh Lord, you would, you would bless their union, that you would glorify your name in their marriage. And so I even pray now, before I preach, that you would use this word for her, to build her up. And I pray for, Lord, all the women in this room this morning, that they would receive the word implanted. And that they would be mindful that this is not an extra command. This is not some sort of extra part of obedience to the gospel. But Lord, this is in every way, and perhaps the greatest way that they will prove the gospel in their own life. Lord, Titus 2 is pivotal this morning, pivotal to this church. And Lord, what little 
light can shine so brightly in great darkness. And so take this little match, this little church, and let it shine in a thick darkness uh, for your glory. And I cry out to you this morning as well, just for grace, that I would not be edgy, and that I would not agitate, but that, Lord, I would make it clear and that I would speak with humility and graciousness. And I would honor these women. I would honor these mothers. I would honor these wives. Lord, and honor my own wife. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, we've been studying through uh, Titus chapter 2, and a few weeks ago, I think even before my ordination, James gave me the option, you know, said, Marcus, you can preach on anything you want to preach on. And, uh, you know, I can say, as soon as he told me that, I already knew I just wanted to continue in Titus. Like in my heart of hearts, I think every preacher, he wants to preach on Christ, you know. I would just, I'm sure James and, you know, Jason, every other man, you know, we, if we could, we would just, we would just preach the Gospels. We would just preach on the beauty of Christ. We would just preach on the cross of Christ. Just preach on the power of Christ and, and the worship of Christ. But practically, Texts like Titus 2 is the exaltation of Christ, is the worship of Christ, shows the beauty of Christ in the believer of Christ. And so, that's what my heart was burdened, and that's what I want to bring to you this morning. In every way, I want to exalt Christ. In every way, I want to magnify Christ. But in every way, as this text is applied, as this text is manifest in your life, then Christ is exalted, Christ is glorified, and Christ will be magnified in your lives. And so, that's what we're going to continue in this morning. The title of today's message, going all the way back from when we started this series, Paul's Instructions for Right Life, Part 9. The High Calling of the Daughters of God, Part 3. That's what this message is. Now, even in my prayer this morning, trying out that God would give me you know, grace to bring the message with grace and humility. You know, it's like I want to... I want to ease the edge this morning, and I want to crack some jokes. I want to try to be funny, but I don't feel funny this morning, you know. I feel a weight of seriousness, and I sense the burden from my own life, first as a, as a husband, shepherding my own wife, leading our own family into the Word, into the right path. And then, moving to the broader weight, to the greater burden of the entire church, you know as a fellow pastor standing before you, uh, representing all the pastors, that this text is so important to our church, that these doctrines of godly families are so important. You know, for you wives this morning, this is a crucial text. For you mothers this morning, it is a crucial text. But if you're not a mother, if you're not a, even a wife this morning, I would ask you not to close your ears. I would ask you to, to open your ears. For those women of you who are uh, not yet married, majority of you will be by God's grace. Majority of you will be married. 
And you will be called on to apply this text to your life. So I ask you to open your ears. And then how about you men? Husbands, obviously. Shepherding your wives after what we're going to hear this morning. How about you single men? Single men, I admonish you and exhort you this morning to look for a wife whose heart is groomed in wanting to apply Titus 2 to her life and to her family. And so with that, open your Bibles, if you will, to Titus chapter 2, if you haven't. And I'll just read verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be Dishonored. Our entire time this morning is going to be spent breaking down this phrase, workers at home. The high calling of the daughters of God is to be a worker in the home. Your English text probably has three words here. NAS, workers at home. ESV says working at home. The Greek here, it's one word. It's one word. You can literally read it, homeworking. And I'll remind you as well that, that this word here, it's in itself, it's not a command. It's not a command. It, it's, a, it's, it's a command in the sense that the Scripture are calling you to be a woman, but this word itself is describing the character quality of a godly woman. This is the character quality of a godly woman. And I would, I would put it like this. What 1 Timothy 3 is to the pastors and the elders of the church, Titus 2 is to the women of the church. Titus 2 and your fulfillment of it is what qualifies you to be an example to the rest of the church. Obedience to the character in being a, a woman who is characterized by these qualities is what qualifies you first to be pleasing to God and second to be a godly role model to the rest of the women in the church. Now the, the, the overall context here is Paul instructing Titus to teach the older women how they are to model to the younger women. And so now we find ourselves in verse 5 where the example of the godly older women trickles down so that the younger women will be godly women. That they will be characterized by this quality this morning, a worker at home. And so let's cut this word in half because it it is two words mushed together. The first half of this word describes the domain The domain. And the domain is the home. Literally, that wives are to be be home. The order that Paul has put this word together is important. The domain in the Greek, the home, comes first. And so, in essence, you have to be at home before you can be a worker. Alright? 
Now, antennas going up everywhere. Is the scripture telling us this morning that a woman cannot step out of the house? That the house is her prison? Is this telling us that, that every ounce of strength and every moment should be spent within the confines of your piece of property? I think that's not really what the, the question we are asking is. The real issue here is not the heart, but it's also the practicality and the wisdom needed to make God-honoring decisions. And so let me proceed by quoting to you from a pastor who's quoted way too much, but we quote from him anyway. In regard to being workers at home, young Christian wives today must take special care to be sensible as they are admonished earlier in this verse. In consultation with their husbands, they must use good judgment in deciding how much time can justifiably and wisely be spent in activities outside the home, whether at a paying job or even at some form of service and ministry to the church. The true female victims today are not women who are willingly bound by love to the to the Lord, to the husbands, and to their children. The true victims are rather those women who have been deceived by unbiblical and satanic feminist ideas about being liberated from God and from the home. The home is where a wife can provide the best expression of love for her husband. It is where she teaches and guides and sets a godly example for her children. It is where she is protected from abusive and immoral relationships with other men, and where, especially in our day, she still has greater protection from worldly influences, despite the many lurid TV programs, magazines, and other ungodly intrusions. The home is where she has special opportunity to show hospitality and devote herself to other good works. The home is where she can find authentic and satisfying fulfillment as a Christian and as a woman. End quote. And those are wise words as we proceed this morning. You know, that this isn't about confining. This isn't about the hours and minutes. It's about the heart. It's about where is your heart this morning, women? Where is your desire? Where is your ambition What is your offering and sacrifice? Let me remind you this morning, going back to the opening of this series, of the first overarching character quality of a woman. Look in verse 3 with me. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. The word, if you remember, means to be priestess-like. It speaks of living a life as if you were a servant in the temple of God. It pictures a woman who is wholly devoted to the Lord in her life and character and knows that her life is a living sacrifice to God. This is the overarching command of all commands to women in Titus 2. And so, to be reverent before God does not mean that you can choose what offerings are reverent to God. Let me say this again. To be reverent to God does not mean that you and I choose what is reverent and pleasing to God. Now we know that we are to do all things to the glory of God. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whether you cook, whether you clean, whether the husband mows the lawn, whether you cut your hair, brush your teeth, physical intimacy with your spouse, caring for your children, all things are to be done for the glory of God. But that doesn't mean that you can do everything for the glory of God. Doesn't mean that you can lie to the glory of God. Doesn't mean that you can steal to the glory of God. Doesn't mean that you can commit adultery to the glory of God. 
And so in other words, you cannot decide that I will offer this up to the Lord and He will be pleased. No, God tells you and I what is acceptable in offerings to Him. And here the Scripture tells us that what is acceptable to God is a priestess whose temple is her home and whose offerings is her service to her family. That's what it means to be a godly woman this morning. That's what this text is crying out to us. It's not career. It's not the workplace. But it's the home. If you are married... Your husband and your family are your priority. Your home is, if you will, your temple. And your husband is your priority. Why well, this morning, I don't need to remind you this, but I will anyway. You know, your, your husband's married you and they wanted you because they no longer desired the bachelor life, Right? If your husband is anything like I was, he was tired of eating pancakes three times a day. He was tired of sleeping in his sleeping diet for three years, right? Never washed it once, right? Right? That's why I got married, right? Okay, more than that, but I needed a helper, right? Amy will tell you, I needed some help. I didn't see it at first, right? I didn't see it at first, but I needed help. The second person that God created was not a man, right? The second person God created was not a man. Adam didn't need more help naming the animals. He didn't need a workout partner, right? He didn't need another guy with muscles. He needed a wife, right? He needed someone, you know, feminine. He needed someone with long hair and more attractive than him. You know, I'm going to be careful what I say, but he needed a woman, That's what he needed. And that's what God gave him. And that's what every man in this room, unless he's called to be celibate, that's what every man needs. He needs a wife. He needs a woman. I need my wife to make me her priority. You know, friends, I can't make my friends my priority. My friends, they can't make me my priority. And my roommates can't make me their priority. I can't make my roommates their priority. Now, I didn't get married just because I need another income. If I need another income, I'll just get more roommates, right? But I needed a wife. I needed, if you will, the feminine touch, right? I needed a woman who would make me her priority and who would minister to me and help me be what God's calling me to be. Her job is to do the things I can't and probably wouldn't so that I could be the man I'm supposed to be. Now, let me, let me tell you how far I've come in my thinking in this way, all right? My wife can testify to this. When we were first married, as far as I was concerned, let's sleep in the sleeping bags, let's just get a big tent, let's sleep out in the backyard, let's cook over a, a camping stove or something, right? I'm fine with that. But you know what? Now I see that even though that's okay with me, that's not okay with our family. And, I, and it's really it's, it's not okay with me. Even though I want it, God's saying, Marcus, that's not what you need. And now I look at my wife and I'm pleased with my wife's heart. I'm, I'm glad that my wife cares about curtains. I'm glad that my wife cares about the colors of the walls and about the carpet and about having the kitchen clean. And about, you know what, if my wife didn't clean, our house would be disastrous. It would be awful. And I would be, ultimately, I'd be disqualified from ministry because it would be, it would be chaos. All right? Man, I'll, t- I'll tell you some stories about my roommates. All right? You know, 
if, if God didn't give Adam Eve, he would have been sleeping in the dirt. I'm sure of it. But instead, he was sleeping on nice bed of leaves, soft cotton, right? Because God knew what Adam needed. And God knows what the men in this church need as well. God created women so utterly different from men so that a man would be wowed by his wife and amazed at God's incredible handiwork in a woman. Right? Sometimes perplexed as well. But, but my point is that, wives, your work revolves around your husband, not yourself. Strong words. But God created Adam first. And physically he had everything he needed. He had the power but he didn't have a woman. He needed a helper in a specific way, in a specific realm. Your main job as a wife is to minister to God by serving your husband in the home. How destructive our culture has been upon women and how much ungodliness has pervaded the church. Christian women today have in many ways been seduced by the world and are still sleeping with the enemy. Instead of being raised to know that you're a woman and that God is glorified in you when you serve Him in ways that only a woman can serve, you have read the scriptures of the world and been trained how to be a priestess of secularism. I mean, almost every woman in this room for your, your, your entire life, in some ways, and some more than others, were being trained by secularism. You're being prepared to minister to the gods of this world rather than the God of Scripture. You find, and you, you, you could have found your purpose and power in serving the world rather than serving God. Finding your value and joy in your degrees and in your high-paying jobs and your fancy lifestyles. While God's high calling for the daughters of God leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. You have been shown how to be an Adam rather than how to be an Eve. By God's grace this morning, we'll we'll change the tide. And the tide is changing. We'll change the tide of Christian culture by going back to the Bible, going to the high calling of the daughters of God. It begins, sisters, this morning with your commitment to the Scriptures. To raise up your children according to the Scriptures, to minister to your husband and in the home according to the Scriptures. It's up to you women to raise up your daughters from a young age and to teach them their roles as a woman, to teach them to serve and minister, to teach them kindness and hospitality. So wives, you cannot choose what you're going to offer up to God. You cannot choose what is acceptable to God. God tells us, And ladies, he tells you specifically that what is acceptable to him is that you offer up sacrifices to him in the domain of the home, offering up service to God through means of your family. Now what I'm saying to you is completely biblical. 1 Corinthians 7.33 1 Corinthians 7.33 The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Verse 34, she who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Paul does not say that these things are worldly or ungodly, this concern. But he means that that which is more temporal in nature, that that becoming married means that you have to absorb yourself in a temporal relationship which is godly and pleasing to God. Now, here is the issue. 
If God is calling you to a celibate life, women, then you're freed up to minister to God. You're freed up, you know, whatever you want to do. You want to go overseas, you want to be a missionary, whatever. You know, we can talk about that as a church, you know. But if you want to be married, then you are dying to yourself. Your life is no longer your own. Your calling is not subjective. It is objective to your husband and to your home. That's what God is calling wives, mothers to do. So I ask you this morning, how are you doing? Where are you at this morning in your obedience? What are you offering up to God? What sacrifices have you been bringing to God? Are you offering up that which is pure and acceptable? Or are you bringing strange fire to God? See, the church is fighting against what I would call spiritual androgyny. Androgyny is when a person has the characteristics or nature of both a man and a woman. And that is exactly the kind of women the world is raising. Women who are supposed to be women, but who want to be a woman and a man at the same time. Right? They want to bear their children. They want their hands off their body. They want no one to tell them how to live their life. They want to be a feminine, but they want to be a man. They want to work alongside men. They want to, they want to be a fireman. Right? Now, this is way off the point, but... I told my wife, if a, if a woman fireman ever comes in to save me, I'm going to pick her up and carry her out. Right? <laughs> right? Man, my, if, if my wife saw a woman fireman carrying me out, <laughs> man. Ah. So. All right, where am I? Right. We need, <laughs> church, we need Christian women. Right? We don't need women who, you know, want to bear children and want to play on the football team. Right? We need women who want to be women. Right? Now, a little more specific. Working at home is going to look a lot different for the wife who has children versus the wife who doesn't. And the main distinction is simply this. The wife with kids will need to spend way more time at home. I mean, that's it. If you have children, your responsibility is that you raise them. God did not give you children so that others can raise them. You raise them, and your time in the home is going to be massively more confining. I don't even want to use the word confining because it sounds negative. But that's what I used. But that's how it is. Your, your life and your domain is going to be just relegated to the home. Now, I want to ask another question, prying question. Let me ask you, do you want to have children? And let me be fair. The children that you have, I mean, do you want your children? This might shock you this morning, but... I might be stretching this a little bit, but I think that the Bible commands married people to have children. Right? Okay, First Timothy five, thirteen through fourteen. Let me read this to you. First Timothy chapter five, verses thirteen through fourteen reads this. Speaking of 
widows, young widows. It says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and to give the enemy no occasion for reproach. So here's the equation I make. If Paul is commanding young widows to get remarried and to bear children, then I would assume that that same principle and command would apply to all married people. That God's plan and creation of a man and woman was procreation. It's to have children. And if anybody needs to have kids, it's Christians. If anybody needs to bear children, it's Christians. Now, I understand that there is, you know, God's sovereignty involved in this, right? Some people want to have children and they're not able to. And we trust that God in His timing through some means will provide you with children. But the, the command here is, as far as it's up to you, bear children. Now, there is wisdom and in, in timing issue involved. The first requisite is to be married, of course, but after that, it's pretty much up to you. Now, my personal opinion, right? My personal opinion, like Paul says, not I, not the Lord, but I say this. My own opinion is that birth control has done, in some ways, more bad than good. Now, I'm not saying I'm against it, or else I would stand before you as a hypocrite. But as believers, we've got to be real careful as to why we're using it. Timing. Why are we using it? I would just, hands down, just ask you your motives behind it. And I'll leave it there. But do you have your mind set on the will of God or the will of man? Do you know why you are placed on this earth? If you buy into what the world is teaching you, then you must tolerate ungodliness. You must tolerate Islam and abortion and having only one kid. If secular humanism, gay marriage, and all else that is taking over our culture is okay, then it makes no difference whether CBC flourishes with children and raises up their children for the glory of God. But if God's glory depends on it, if the souls of thousands of men and women are at stake over what is going on in our world, then having children and raising them up to follow Christ, raising up children who live godly, Christ-exalting lives, is one of the, if not the most effective ways you can impact the kingdom of God. I chopped out a massive portion of my sermon, and I wanted to use this incredible illustration, and I'm going to try to boil it down as quickly as I can. Demographics, the study of populations, the studies that are going on right now tell us that for a population to sustain its growth, not to increase or not to decrease, you have to have 2.1 children per household. The average, the, the average reproduction of Spain is like 1.1. It's unsustainable. Spain is going to be wiped, Spain as a nation is going to be wiped off the earth. Japan, unsustainable. Japan is wiping itself off the earth. Europe is wiping itself off of the face of the earth. Do you know why? Because of secular, because of ungodliness. China, wiping itself, you know, 
we're talking about how, oh, there's too many people in the world. We can't sustain all these people. Not an issue. Man is, in some sense, these nations are self-extinction. Now, what's, what's, what's even more incredible is, let's turn to the Muslim nations. I had all these stats here. Yemen, Somalia, 6.67 children. That's the average. The Muslim nations are exploding. Now, here's what's happening. Europe is slowly becoming Muslim. That's what's happening. And it's not because they're sending in planes and slamming them into buildings. It's because Western civilization, and when I say Western civilization, let me, let me even back up. This is not an issue of racism. This is an issue of religion. This is an issue of Christ. This is an issue of the glory of God. So for, for believers to not be having children is to not impact the kingdom of God. That's the application. Satan is duping the world, telling them not to have kids. He's destroying civilization. At the same time, satanic influence of Islam is on the rise. The level of America right now, it's barely hanging on. Now, am I concerned? Is this doom and gloom? I'm not concerned. Christ is, Christ is in charge. Christ reigns. But that doesn't mean that we shake off our mandate to impact the world, to impact the kingdom of God. So men and women, it's not 2.1 children, but it's 4, it's 5, it's 10, 20 kids, right? <laughs> 20 kids to the glory of God, right? So I just, I just encourage you to think radically about having children. Think beyond, you know, that's why this whole family thing is, it's just like, you know, you got your house, you got your kids, and now you're content. But if you think about raising up kids, now we learned this morning from Charlie's testimony, man, we've got a major fight in our hands. And we'll talk about more about that later. But we've got to be kingdom-oriented, kingdom-minded, raising up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, raising up missionaries, raising up godly young men and women, Somehow, I don't know where we got off here, but this still is in the domain. The domain is in the home, right? It's got to start here. If you're going to, you know, everything we just talked about, if you want to go that way, you've got to start with the domain. You've got to be in the realm of the home. Let's move on. It's not enough just to be in the domain. But this word is made up of first the word, the domain, and then the duty. The duty is working. Working. One more rabbit trail. I want you to speak to a specific group of women this morning. Right? Women, I know there's some of you this morning who you want to obey Titus 2 with all of your heart. But for reasons over your authority, you cannot. Some of you have unbelieving husbands who will not allow you. And so in godliness, you submit to them and you obey them. And so you're not able to obey this command at this time. 
or to have this full character quality. Now, you have the heart of Titus 2. You have the, the character of the heart, and God bless you, and God will bless you. I pray that it would not be that a Christian woman who has a Christian husband is none unable to obey this text this morning. The command, the domain is the house, the duty is to be working. Workers at home, it's not enough just to stay at home. Some wives think that staying at home qualifies them as obedient, but it does not. It's one thing to stay at home, it's another thing to work at home. And so wives, you can leave your 100,000 a year gig, you can stay at home, you can give birth to five children, and you can still fail in obeying the Scriptures. The real obedience here is diligence. The thrust of the word is at home working. Are you busy at home? It's the idea that women should be diligent homemakers. The duty is that wives be diligent in regards to responsibility at home. This is why the Christian woman makes the best wife and mother. The secular woman works to receive the praises of men, and her heart is completely divided. She seeks to reap the prizes of the world. She finds her satisfaction in pleasing the world, not pleasing her husband. Therefore, she cannot work at home. The Christian woman labors at home for the glory of God. She knows her temporal praise will be few, maybe only from her husband and children, but her eternal praise will come from Christ. She knows that the cost of forsaking the path of the world is dung compared to the glory of pleasing Christ her Lord. Now, I can stand before you this morning and testify on my myself and for all the pastors and flock shepherds of Cornerstone Bible Church that behind every single one of us stands a godly woman whose character and qualities matches or maybe exceeds our own. And I know that it's not even just the flock shepherds. I know that, that men, that many of you have godly wives you have godly wives who are doing godly things and they are a priestess in your home. But wives, I want to give you some encouragement to persevere in your holy calling and then to call you to either obedience and repentance if you're not in submission to this. Your calling as a daughter of God is high and holy. The cross of Christ was a high and holy calling. It looked low and measly. It looked detestable and vile. But it was the way that Christ was exalted. And sometimes your life calling looks the same. Sometimes the home feels more like a prison. And your children more like inmates. And your husband more like a warden. Right? On top of that, the world belittles your role as a wife and mother. How often are you called a stay-at-home mom? While those moms who choose the world's route get the praising title working moms. What is implied here is that stay-at-home moms don't work and women that sacrifice their children on the altar of man earn the title working mom. And that's rubbish. Moms, if you are a stay-at-home mother who is being faithful and diligent in her temple and priestess duties to the Lord, don't ever call yourself a stay-at-home mom. You're a biblical mother. You're a working at home mother. That's what you are. Every mom, every mom works. Every mom works. But not every mom is a biblical mother. 
Next time someone asks you what you do, tell them, I'm a work-at-home mom. Right? But I know that it's not always easy to believe that your calling is glorious, just as the calling of the cross looked anything but. Right? And so here's the reason why God gave us Titus 2. He, he knew it would not be easy. Right? Christ cried out to be delivered from the agony of the cross. Right. I am not saying in any way that being married and having children is like going to the cross. Far be it. But there are difficulties. And there is a sacrifice. And I'll remind you that that's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is death to self, alive in Christ. It's no to me. It's yes to God. The way down is the way up. I know there's times when it might seem that you're at the end of your rope. And this is where only the Christian woman can succeed. Not merely in being a worker at home, but seeing that she is laboring for eternity for the glory of God. And it's in this context of battling out in the home duties that you can quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, and actually not take it out of context. Right? It's supposed to be funny, but... You know, that's every football player saying that. I can slam dunk for... Anyways. <sighs> All right. What is key this morning, women? What is key this morning is to understand that this is not a lesser command. Okay? Now, when I, when I say lesser command, what I mean is this. What's the greatest command? Greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, right? All your soul, all your mind. That's the greatest command in Scripture. Oh, so that must mean that, you know, character qualities and commands from Titus 2, those are lesser commands. Let me give you a different paradigm. The greatest command is the broadest command. To love God with all of your heart, oh yeah, we can quote that verse up, up, up and down all day long. Because it's so broad. But it's proven by the lesser, more specific commands. So the test of loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, all of your might, it's proven by Titus 2. It's proven by the minutia, by the small things. Because anybody can say, oh, I love God with all my heart. But the next question is, prove it. Prove it. That's what faith is. Your entire life is a life of faith proving the, the, the obedience to the great command. And that's what Titus 2 is. Your diligence and faithfulness in the home proves your obedience to the great command. You will not be asked how many degrees you had or how many figures or digits you had. You will be asked to give an account for your role as a wife and mother. Therefore, wives, be diligent before the all-seeing eye of Christ. Neglect not your temple duties all, and fight against all temptation to perform out of heartless rote and joyless duty. See, the home can lead to your greatest freedom. But that freedom can, can turn into licentiousness if you are not structured and disciplined as a mother, as a wife. So let me give you some practical things here. You need to organize your day. You need to write out what your plans are. Especially you mothers. You need to discipline your life and take the helm because there's a great many temptations in the home. 
temptation of television. Waste your time on pointless and often worldly entertainment. And not even just for yourself, but the temptation just to chuck your kids in front of the tube because that's the easy route. And then there's the fridge and the food. Constant temptation. Not controlling your appetites and bowing to your cravings. Then there's the great danger. I'm going to focus on this for a minute. Then there's the great danger of the children ruling the home rather than you. Women, we understand the father's the head. But when daddy's gone, when daddy's at work, you're second in command. And you're in charge. And you define what's going to be done and how life's going to be lived at home. See, these little munchkins, they're not fools. They know that they can, if they can overwhelm mommy with their moanings and their whinings, they, they can finally get what they want. Right? If they just gnaw enough and wear you down enough, you'll finally give in. But you must be the leader. You must predetermine how the day's events are going to go. And you've got to carry out your God-ordained authorities on those little rebels. So I would, I would, of course, encourage you to rise early enough for good time and fellowship and communion with God, right? First, you've got you to take care of your own heart. You've got to rise up early, spend time with Christ. But then, practically, before you, you get going, I would encourage you to make a list and write down the things that you got to do that day. And in the order of that list, you want to put the things that are most pertinent and most necessary at the top of the list. And, and seek to fulfill that list. Now, if you don't fulfill that list, you can't judge your day according to, did you get the list done or not? But the list will help you, and this gives us an opinion, Practical advice, the list will help you gauge how you're doing. You know, it will help you see who's in charge. And it will help you gauge and, and, and judge your diligence in the home. Right. Let me go in another direction for a moment. I'll step out on a limb here. And I want to, for the next few moments, I want to completely redefine motherhood for you. Completely redefine motherhood for you in one term. And that's evangelist. Now we understand the father, he is the pastor. He is the head. He is the shepherd. He is the main teacher. He is the main preacher. But if we're very practical this morning, we understand that no one spends more time and should spend more time with the children than mom. If you are a mother in here, your primary task is not that of cooking and cleaning. It's preaching the gospel to your lost children. No one will share the gospel as many times as you will with your children. No one will model the gospel to your children like you will, because no one will spend as much time with them as you do. And I stand before you this morning as an ordained pastor. I cannot quit. I cannot back down. If I choose to go AWOL, the leaders of CBC will come after me. They will bring me back. They will throw me in the brig. Why? Because my life is no longer my own. It's not a subjective calling anymore. It's an objection. It's objective calling. It's not my choice. Beforehand, it was all theoretical. If, if, if. It's no longer theoretical. I cannot forsake. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Mothers, the moment you brought that munchkin into the world, you were ordained to the ministry of evangelist. You were ordained to the office of evangelist. 
It's not an option anymore. It's not if you want to. But this is your calling. What responsibility you have been given. Can you look at your child today and believe that that little child is hell-bound? If you do, then you'll preach the gospel with vigor. Mothers, I know you love your children. I'm not questioning your love for them. I'm only seeking to bring you to a new horizon to see your high calling as a mother. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I want to encourage you to make these some life verses, moms. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14. The question I'll pose to you is, who is the from whom? From whom? I think the answer is back to 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Where Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. These women were Timothy's evangelists. These godly women were evangelists. They knew that they had a far greater mission field than Billy Graham. They knew that far more difficult than just preaching and packing up is the constant attending of the gospel to the same soul, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, year after year. And so what kindness, what kindness these mothers manifest to young Timothy, preaching the scriptures to him, imparting to him the wisdom that is able to lead him to salvation. Mothers, what diligence is needed so that your children see the love of Christ manifest from your lives and not merely from your lips. Or may you be women who are, who are priests of the home, who are living your life with reverence and honor and diligence before God. So, wise mothers, will you this morning, will you be the priestess that God is calling you to be? In conclusion, I address all of you families, men, women, single men, single women. God's plan for families is that wives, mothers, stay at home and raise their children and train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and evangelize the heathen in your own home. Now perhaps you meet the Word of God with some objections this morning. Some will say, I will do both. Or perhaps you'll say, we need the money. We need to pay for the house. We need another car, a nicer one, or money for entertainment. But God is saying you are deceived. Is a house more important than God's glory? Is a house and possessions more important than obeying the Word of God? Are cars and money and possessions more important than obeying the Scriptures and raising up a godly family in a crooked world? Some may say, but we will have to change our standard of living. Well, amen. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. Our nice house we may lose, but joy in Christ ensues. Or perhaps, but we cannot afford to do what the Scripture is asking. Well, let me say this. Perhaps the greatest need our children have is to see us make some sacrifice. 
Our kids need to grow up and see dad working his guts out to provide. They need to see mom every day serving in the home, nurturing and proving to her children that they are more precious than any earthly goods. And by God's grace, they will come and say, Mom and Dad, how come we don't have a big house like everyone else? How come we don't have the things that everyone else has? And you can look at your child and say, We have far more than what others have. We have Christ. And everything else is a loss. And you can show them from the choices you have made in order to please Christ and find true joy in this world. You can show them that Christ means far more than clothes and homes and ease. And I'll tell you this morning, I believe that that kind of gospel preaching with your lives will far exceed any bedtime Bible story. Proving to your children that Christ is supreme. The danger this morning is that we become so consumed with our comfort and with our kids' comfort, having the world's idea of a perfect life. Our children need to see us sacrifice for Christ. They don't need just to to hear you say that you love Christ. They need to see you prove it. And so prove to them that Christ is all. Prove to the world that Christ is all. And most important of all, prove to Christ that Christ is all. God's commands are not burdensome. If you can be saved, if you can, by the grace of God, confess Christ as Lord and forsake and follow Him, then you can endure the trials and temptations of Orange County. Men, husbands, fathers, the real issue lies with you this morning. The buck stops with you. Some of you hinder your wife by either refusing to allow her to glorify God in these ways or by encouraging her to conform to the world's standards rather than than God's standards. Many women in this room want to obey Scripture. Are you stifling them? You hurt your wife by not allowing her to pursue God's calling. You hurt your own family. Ultimately, you hurt yourself. For some husbands, you want your wife to have this heart, but she doesn't have it. And so you just let her go her way. Well, I would remind you that this is what shepherding is about. We, ha- we have this text this morning because we're not, we're not those, even though we're Christians, we're not prone to just do everything by rote. If it was that way, I, I wouldn't need to stand here this morning. I wouldn't need to preach these things. I wouldn't need to put my own head on the chopping block. But husbands, the buck stops with you. So your wife may not want this. It may cause some real tensions having this conversation, even making the decisions. But that's what it means to be a pastor. That's what it means to obey Christ, regardless of the cost. And so be the pastor. Be the man. Be the shepherd God is calling you to be. Shepherd your wife's heart. Be more of an influence upon her soul than the world is. Teach your wife the word and show her what it means to obey and follow Christ. Christ deserves all we have and promises we will gain far more than we give. We must be willing to part with all so that Christ can be exalted and magnified and glorified through our lives. Mothers, we honor you this morning. We honor you for your faithfulness. We honor you for your diligence. 
And so may your joy be made complete this morning by completely obeying. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise You that You have given us the great command. And that in loving You with all of our heart and soul and mind and might is our great joy. That Your commands are not burdensome. And when Your commands are burdensome to the believer, it's because they don't understand Your commands. Because they don't understand what You're calling them to. The unbeliever sees the Christian life as a life of boredom. And they think that we've been drawn to Christ kicking and screaming. But we have been wooed to You by Your incredible mercy. And we have been sustained in You by joy and by gladness. And Lord, the great command is manifest by the specific commands. Lord, let us be a church that magnifies the great command by taking and eating and digesting all of the commands of Scripture. May the women in this church be characterized as Titus II women. So Lord, give us much grace. Give these women grace in heart. Lord, I pray that, that the word this morning would not be like, like bitterness in their hearts, but that it would be sweet. And that, Lord, they would sense freedom and joy at what You have called them to do. May they see that what the world has duped women into is slavery. And that what You're calling wives to is freedom. And may You be glorified and exalted in this church by our obedience to Your Word. In Your name we pray. Amen.